All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Course Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. Yo, 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 what up? This is Fonte Fontigolo here with another QLS Classic. This episode, we're taking it back to January 18, 2017 with Faith Newman. Faith Newman is the A&R who signed Nas and helped create the runway for Illmatic. She joins QLS to discuss her time at Def Jam, Columbia, and working with UGK and Too Short at Jive. This is it, y'all. Episode number 18 of QLS, Faith Newman on the QLS Classic. Suprema, su, su, Suprema roll call. 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 My name is Questo. Yeah. That's who I am. Yeah. I'm gonna ask Faith Newman. Yeah. All about Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, su, su, Suprema Roll Call. My name is Fonte. Yeah. I'm in the place. Yeah. I'm not George Michael. Yeah. But I just gotta have faith. Roll Call. <laughs> Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Oh. Yeah. Faith Newman. Yeah. They call me Sugar. Yeah. The sexy Jew man. Roll Call. <laughs> Suprema. I'm gonna punch that. Suprema roll call, no punches. Suprema roll call. I'm on pay bill. Yeah. Can't get no better. Yeah. Ready for eggnog. Yeah. Christmas sweaters. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Is Boss Bill the meanest? Yeah. Is Boss Bill the prettiest? Yeah. Is Boss Bill the baddest mofo to hold down around this town? Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. 
This is Laia. Yeah. Working on a rhyme scheme. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I mean. Yeah. But I'm trying, you see? Roll call. No? Suprema, why why she fucking with me? Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. My name is Faith. Yeah. I haven't rhymed since 1986. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. It's actually ironic that we are in Orm Barrack Street. In the location of the, uh, yeah. I guess the original. Chung Def- King. No, no. Right? Oh, Chung King. Chung King's in this block. I thought you were going to go to Def Jam. I, I was trying to go to Def Jam. Oh, okay. So Def Jam wasn't on this block? No. It Not wasn't... the original. Oh. The original was on Elizabeth Street. I see. Well, that voice you hear, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, a legendary, legendary voice. Um, what can I say about Faith Newman? I mean, she has, she's been there for some of your favorite moments in music, if you are a hip hop head, you know, if 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 the maroon to black Def Jam logo, the original, meant anything to you in the eighties, in the nineties, Faith Newman was there. Not to mention, uh, she spearheaded probably one of the most debated and contested pieces of 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 work that has ever been in hip hop. I'm speaking of Illmatic. By Nas, you've done so much more. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Faith Newman. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to our dungeon. How are you doing today, Faith? I'm doing okay, man. You're doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dungeon. dungeon. Welcome to my underground lair. lair. <laughs> <laughs> when you hear that, normally I don't, I don't kick off an episode with a song, but mm-hmm. when you hear that particular piece or just stuff from that era, like what's the first thing you thought of when you heard well, you know, I started working at Def Jam at 87. Right. So, uh, you know, when I was still in college. And it was just an amazing, amazing time. Um, just some of the best years of my life were spent there. I was one of the first five people at the company. First woman. Right. I was going to uh, say, if you were a woman in that environment, mm-hmm. I know that you have to have the toughest skin of all time. Yeah. Because you're like, what, you're around, you were around 20, 20. 21? Mm Mm-hmm. In that environment? Yeah. Wow. Well, you know. There was no such thing as HR department. No, there was no HR department. (laughs) No. There was no trigger warnings. There was none of that shit. You know know what's interesting, though, is that uh, before Def Jam, I interned at Columbia Records in 86. And, yeah. And you can imagine what that was like then. You still, I don't know if you saw the show. Um, no, the one that got canceled on HBO about the record. Vinyl. 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 Thank you. Vinyl, thank yeah. you. Thank you. It was like that. Like Wait, Vinyl got canceled? Yeah. 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 One and done. Damn. One and done. Yeah. Damn, next that to New York, New York. Crazy. That was, Martin, ah, damn, I was actually. I was into it. Me too. Yeah, I liked it as well. But Wow. Okay. But, I, but those guys. Mm-hmm. You know, in '86, that were in the rec- had been in the record business since you know whenever '70s, were still there, and that's where I got I experienced more uh, harassment. You know what I mean? I see. And I feel like with hip hop, though, it's like I I never could have gotten a job at Columbia unless I wanted to be somebody's assistant. Mm-hmm. 
you know, but. So you're, like, you're saying that working at Columbia in 86 mm-hmm. prepared you for the tough skin of the battles that you would have to deal with? Yeah, yeah you know, it's funny. Like, I don't know if it was my youth or whatever, how much I loved hip hop. It just, I didn't think of myself as a woman first in hip hop. I just felt like, you know, that's kind of how it was mm-hmm. with everybody who worked at Def Jam. It was like we were all young and we were just totally immersed in the culture. Were there any other women at the time that maybe, because, you know, you were the first at Def Jam, but there, were there any there contemporaries? Were other, there were women at Rush. So okay. what you had was in the, on in Elizabeth Street, you had Rush Management was on the first floor. And you had Lisa Cortez and Heidi Smith. Oh, yes. There. Yeah. Wow. Lisa Cortez. Yes, yeah. Lisa Cortez. Lisa Cortez. Wow. Yep. Who went on to work with Lee Daniels and yeah, great she's doing great things she, in film. <laughs> she, she once infam- infamously told The Roots, uh, when we... I believe that she went to Mercury mm-hmm. uh, in 94. Okay. All right, so something happened. We were going to sign with Mercury. Like, we went out to dinner and all this stuff, and then, like, there's a minor glitch in the contract that technically left us free uh, for, like, a weekend, and that's when Wendy Goldstein came <laughs> in with all this in. cash, <laughs> and Lisa Cortez was like, uh, I hope uh, they take race relation uh classes over there like that was wow. like her last like <laughs> oh you gonna learn today that was <laughs> <laughs> i'll never forget uh so like was that your i'm, I'm trying to pedal backwards before yeah. i i go forward but yeah how did you wind up in music you're from you're Philly. a philadelphian yeah i'm a philadelphian yes, I'm a proud a- philadelphian a- Okay, I'm, I'm I'm clapping alone. Because someone, right? Are you from Philly now? No, I mean, I have been for the last 16 years. I'll okay, take it. Well, I'll take it. Okay. You're always all right. Just no officially, like besides us being born on the same day. Mm-hmm. You're always a Philadelphia native to me. Like I feel that DC doesn't count. Yeah, yeah, no. My, my bougie spirit is down thanks to D- D- Philly. Like mm-hmm. you know, it takes you down, <laughs> brings you back up. <laughs> Feeling good. So mm. you're you're growing. What what part of Philadelphia did you? Northeast. Oh wow! Is this uh, Fishtown? No, Mm-mm. northeast. Real northeast. Real northeast, like Bustleton Avenue. <laughs> okay, like, ain't so nothing up there. Tomlinson Road. Any of this sounding familiar? Philmont Avenue. Yeah. Okay, I would explain. Roosevelt Boulevard. If you okay, what I'm saying is, back in let's say 1983, mm-hmm. if current day. No, uh, no uh, status. Amir Thompson mm-hmm. were to be in that neighborhood. Mm. Might I be <laughs> greeted with some uh, Louisville sluggers? Right, or perhaps ask to relieve yourself of uh. some items. <laughs> <laughs> the Northeast is special. I don't know. The Northeast is special. How? Okay, so I know me knowing you personally, I know that you're a soul music aficionado. Mm-hmm. How did that reach you up in the Northeast? Because when I'm thinking 70s and 80s Northeast, I'm thinking of like FM 98. I'm thinking of the word, yo. Like, yo, let's go get a yeah, hoagie. Yeah, yeah. Like when you're from Philly, it's, just... it's the worst ever. I'm so glad I don't talk You said like that. that, but you said that authentic. Like, uh-huh. let's go get a hoagie. Hoagie. Yeah, so like, how were you 
no pun intended, were you a black sheep of your... <laughs> yeah, I have a funny story about that. You want to hear it? Yeah. Um, well, actually, the, the reason was Soul Train. Ah, okay. What was the reason? That your you asked me... Your attraction to Soul Train. Y- why? No, I meant your love for the show or just... No, my love for the music. It just... I always had music playing in the house. My My dad had this great, you know, fancy reel-to-reel player and he would play a lot of Ray Charles and uh, the Birds, Creedence Clearwater Revival, like a lot of bluesy stuff that I was always attracted to. And then... We should let our let our um, listeners know that in the 70s, the uh, reel-to-reel player was mm-hmm. like... I mean, that was the original MP3 holder. Even before, like, cassettes weren't even... Yeah, well, they'd bought, you know, you'd buy reel-to-reel... Um, Albums, wow. like you would. Oh, okay. They yeah. went all the way in. They My went dad all would the way just in. Get blank reel to reels and then Duh. record. Oh, really? All the music he liked on that reel to reel, so he just had three hours of yeah continuous music without having to put the the record stack on. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, your father would would listen to all these songs on his yeah. reel. Yeah, and there was always music playing in the house, always in the house, always on the radio in the car. Um. Funny story. I mean, you ask kind of how I was different. I um, my grandparents lived in North Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and North, yeah, N O R F, N O R F, North. <laughs> wow, what year? Oh God, I mean, they moved out in the seventies, so you yeah. know, okay, forties, fifties, sixties. Was that still hood? Was I mean, it? my mom went to Overbrook. They're from- oh. My goodness, y'all are. See, okay. your family was special. Yeah. Yeah. Very integrated, like. Yeah. But this the story, the funny story is that I was four, I guess, four or five, and I was sitting on the stoop of my grandmother's house. And across the street, um, these um, activists, I guess, were said, I don't know if they were Black Panthers, I don't know what they were, but they were setting up a table to hand out literature. And I thought that they just looked amazing. They had these, you know, big afros and just they seemed so cool. So I went across the street just to hang out with them. And um, they said, are you lost? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is, you know, symbolic. And um, um, yeah, so that was that was a funny story. But um, Soul Train was where I got my music from. That was it every Saturday. Okay, and then pretty much, I mean, when did you? And I leave bought Philadelphia to make your trek to New York. I started going to New York when I was sixteen, so that I kind of would sneak away. I would tell my mom I was sleeping at a friend's house, and I'd take the Greyhound to New York, and I'd go to the Roxy, mm. places like that. Finally, had someone, to be yeah. Someone that's been to the Roxy, yeah, at its peak period now. What yeah. year is this? 81, 82? 82. 82. So what was the, what's, what's the, what's the average environment of the Roxy? Because I think after Studio 54, the Roxy's definitely fallen into the mythical. Yeah. It was everything that I thought it would be the first time I went. It was like. Um, How did you hear about it? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, I started listening to hip hop when I was 13. And I heard it first time at United States of America on Roosevelt Boulevard. Damn. 
USA. USA. I remember that spot. Everywhere. Yeah. But it is the first time I heard a rap record, which, of course, you know, given, you know, it was in Philly and it was uh, Rapper's Delight. Mm-hmm. So that was a game changing moment for me. And I found a friend from Jersey who would get uh, cassettes of, you know, Funky Four Plus One and Angie B and Spoonie G and, you know, all of this stuff. And that's how I got my hip hop early on was through these cassettes through from New York to Jersey to Philadelphia. <laughs> Really? So mm-hmm. I, I've never heard of, of tapes making... They made their way... Well, they made their way to the, my friend in Jersey, and he got me the tapes, so... Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you're going to the Roxy, like, what's... I mean, what's the average night? Is It's like Jelly Bean Benita spinning? Like, who's it's spinning just, there? Who was spinning? Bambata was spinning that night. Really? Yes. So what it, what is his, his method of... I mean, can you describe, like, some of the songs you heard or whatever i heard he would just go all over the place i heard one mixtape in which he for some weird reason just stayed on the the hey mickey of mickey. drum intro for like 10 minutes though oh, i didn't believe wow. that but it wasn't like but it wasn't like it was in line it'd be like wow Sound like sneakers in the dry. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that that was the best analogy I ever heard. I ever heard. So, so it, any of the folklore characters of Roxy, like yeah. Well, I just remembered I I met Melly Mel and Scorpio, and I thought that was a really cool thing and it was the first time I saw Rocksteady live it was like everything was happening at once it was like all of hip-hop in this you know in this little space and it was just you know they were writing graffiti on plexiglass you know they were breakdancing um it's actually probably 83 because Planet Patrol performed that's what I remember oh wow play at your own risk play that that's play them. At your own risk yeah. yep wow. that's it with those crazy costumes. With the and, crazy uh, costumes. And the hats. And the, the hats. Samurai hats. All of it. <laughs> Planet Patrol would, uh, they'd start their shows looking like, I, I can't even describe. But it was all, I mean, it, it was like that. It was like very like P-Funk the way they did it and Soul Sonic Force did it. And it wasn't until Run DMC that people stopped. Kind of, Stop you know, even the Furi- Furious <laughs> Five had, you know, know, know what they used to dress like. So. Did you dress like that as well? No. <laughs> oh, were were you B girl? Were you the prototype the cool white girl in the circle of black? I was, a, I was, I was a B girl, okay, for sure. And then later on, I was really like when I said that I haven't rapped since '86. Like that's for real. Like I was in a rap group and everything. So wow, what was the name what of the rap name? group? Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to preface this, you know, so it makes sense. Um, remember Calvin Coolers? Yeah, they came in a four pack, not a six pack. Yes. Okay. Your name was Little Four Pack. Our name was Four Pack. <laughs> <laughs> wow. There were four of us. Get it? Yeah. 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 I, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got to Google that. That's you know Calvin, Calvin, Calvin Coolers. I'm talking. Oh, yeah, oh Calvin never, Coolers. Yeah. I've never heard of those. Never heard of them. No. No. Oh, Any Ken book? used to always rhyme about it. Calvin is fine, that's why I'm, but Calvin, Calvin is cooler. cooler. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm late. I'm sorry. It's funny though. 
No, I just did now got the reference because I've heard I knew it from the cane rhyme, but I didn't mm-hmm. know it was an actual. Drink. Well, wait, mm-hmm. who are the who are the two old white guys that used to sell the Bartles, Bartles and James? And James, now I remember them. What and happened to wine coolers? Do they even sell them? Yeah, anymore? but they're like hard lemonades now. Yeah, Mike's hard lemonades. Yeah, they like transform. Uh, we need Z-Man. a more Damn, cider. So, so for a non-drinker like me, would wine cooler have been like the perfect? Yeah, medium? yeah, that's yeah. what you drink. Yeah, yeah, it's just some sweet diabetic black shit. Wait, is it black shit though? Nah, I mean you know black, but like we like you know black folk. Like ordering, like when Mystic came yeah, out. Yeah, like we ordering. Yeah. <laughs> we be ordering Moscato. It's the sweet tea of of wine. Yes, yeah. yes, it, yeah. Any kind of wine cooler is like. It's my why, why they stop making it? Because I would have been the perfect. Oh, I would also no, been still dead. Make it. <laughs> <laughs> no, they still make it. It's just marketed towards like you know freshmen in college. Wow, like Boone's yeah. Farm. So wait, when Bruce Willis was singing Seagrams Golden Wine Cooler, <laughs> who who were they? They were talking to black folk. I don't think. I think it was. I think it was a thing where it was unintended consequences, like how most upscale white products, right? Like they, you know, right? Crystal. Oh, we grabbed it. Yeah, we grabbed it. It's like, oh damn, we need them for them niggas to get that. But <laughs> like, but it happens. Timberland. Like, polo, I was about to say polo, the whole night. Polo, He's like, no, we made. Thank you, Faith. Oh, yeah, polo, yeah. we made chaps for y'all niggas. <laughs> y'all wasn't supposed to get polo, but you know, it happens. Really. <laughs> <laughs> like sneakers in the drive. <laughs> anyway, so damn, I forgot how we got on this tangent, but <laughs> a tangent on Quest Love Supreme coolers. wine coolers, no. four pack. Now I want a wine. Four pack is the name of their group. Four pack is the name of our group. Yeah. All right, so what was your actual name in the group? Four pack. No, what was your name? name? Group was? Oh, my actual name? Yeah. yeah. Oh man, you're not gonna get that out of me. Oh, oh come on, we got this Quest Love Supreme. Faith Newman, please. Oh don't Lord! Do it, Exclusive. Exclusive. Give us, give us the other girl. It won't you know. We won't send you to HR. We promise. <laughs> promise. Does Nas know what it is? You I know, know if you I ever told, told him. him. I must have told him. It was MC Fortune. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that ain't bad. That's that ain't bad at all. Wait, who are the other three though? Rami, SD, and C Money. Oh, money. That sounds like medical conditions. <laughs> <laughs> are they in the business now? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Were you guys like seriously trying to get a deal or? We were, you know, we were just so, like I said, immersed in the culture that it just seemed like this natural extension. Like, let's just have a group. And we went in the studio with the LA Posse. Oh, wow. Oh, wait. Doing the Bigger and Deffer era? Yeah, I was on. So I'm on was... the Bigger and Deffer album. What? What? What song? What song? I don't know. The Go LL. Go LL. Oh, let's get ill. Let's, and let's no, get, get ill. Down. No, no, and let's get ill. Both. Oh, let's get, let's Ill. get Ill. So wait, yeah. when you were still working at Def Jam. I hadn't started working with Def Jam. Till eight, I didn't start working till, de- till I 87. you bigger and deafer. No. Okay, but you started working at Def Jam in 87. 87. When that album came out. So back then you were still pursuing a... I was just, it was like a half... It isn't really what I wanted to do. It's Wait, was it four of... white girls or? Yeah, we were four white girls. He's like, no, this and is... Russell didn't see this at one point. Was it as like, a marketing? Uh... We're the new, we're the female Beastie Boys, was... right? <laughs> like, did he know about the? the I don't group think he. I don't think he even knew. <laughs> it was a short-lived part of my life. Were you guys good? Well, we're trying to bring <laughs> this back. <laughs> All right, yeah. We no, I mean, are there demo tapes? Is, is there a performance just... or a reunion <laughs> tour? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're putting the band back Bill, together. Baby. We're putting the band back together. <laughs> okay. Put the band on tour and perform our ad libs from All oh, Let's Get In. <laughs> <laughs> 
So wow. that was the first time I saw uh, Todd without his hat on. That was interesting. Mm. Wow. Mm. That really? I don't think yeah. I saw that till like 95. Yeah, no, I got a sneak peek. Quincy Jones uh, told of a story where he brought LL to Bill Cosby's house for dinner. And L.O. had his hat on. And, you know, Bill Cosby said, you know, one of them Cosby things like, well, in this house, young men, we take our hats off and da 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 So L.L., like, all embarrassed, took his hat off. And then Bill looked at his head and was <laughs> like, put, put that hat back, back on. Back on. <laughs> <laughs> all right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic. So slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Okay, so where so does... So we'll put the rap group, just put that in a little, you know, bubble that... Well, no, just... you you were... I was, I was, yeah. Was this when you were going to college or... Yeah, I was still in college. NYU, correct? Mm-hmm. What was your major? Marketing. Did you know uh, Gina or was that too soon? Gina Gershon? Mm-mm. Gina Gershon went to NYU for acting? She went to NYU and told me, Gina Gershon is the second person I know that has uh, neglected her finals, like her college finals, Mm -hmm. to pursue her actual dream. The other person is uh, Ursula Smith of Set to Run. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gina told me that she was running late to her her very final test that she had to take to get her degree. Mm. And Andy Warhol um, stopped her um, and said, you know, you must be in my video. I think he was directing a video for the cars and he wanted her immediately. So it's like, 
do I go to uh, do I take this final and get my degree or do I do this Cars video? What she did the Cars video, and the same story with with Ursula Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, Ursula was was she the official Rush uh, publicist by then or? Uh, no, not run. yet. Layla. 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 So Layla was there, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. So Layla brought Ursula. That's aboard. right. I know that um, she there was a group on Tommy Boy called Information Society. And, running. Yeah, running. And it, it's like one Love of those Stevie B. Gotcha. Girl, I needed you tonight. <laughs> like everything over Planet Rock, that, that yeah. sort of Stevie BS freestyle kind of. Right, what's yeah. on your mind? Exactly. So she uh, <laughs> she had brought Information Society to a college uh, in Houston, okay, uh, like part of a spring fling thing, and all she had to do was take her finals, and they asked her like after the show, you know, we don't have a tour manager or something like, would you? travel with us and but they're like now like in an hour oh man and she took the opportunity she didn't take her finals she just packed everything and left college and and well, went I, on tour i was gonna leave and and rick said that i should finish because i had one semester so to go was rick rubin at nyu at the time or no like rick was Rubin. he actual or was that just folklore that he just lived there and yeah so he was a student there yeah. Okay. But by the time I, you know, came aboard, um, he had, you know, he was living in the Elizabeth Street building. Okay. Because I'm just under the impression that Rick Rubin lived in the NYU dorms, like, during this whole period. And I'm like, well, when, when was he actually in college? No, because he graduated, he would have had to graduate in 84. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes, makes sense. sense. And I graduated in 88, so... I see. Mm-hmm. I see. So, like, when did you? Well, you did uh, Columbia first, correct? So, and actually, my first first internship was with a company called Select Records. Oh uh, yeah. Do you remember Select? Yes. UTFO. UTFO. Oh, UTFO. UTFO. Whistle, Real Rock Whistle, Sand. Yep. Mm-hmm. What year is this? Eighty six, summer of eighty six. Ah, right when that Lethal rec- record was coming. UTFO out. Lethal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, what did you do at at, at Select? Um, made phone calls for, you know, radio, like for, um, I don't know, the retailers. How big, how big was the company back then? It's about the size of this space we're in right now. (laughs) How many employees? Um, full-time employees. Four. Wow. Wait, including you? No, not including me. So four and a half. Yeah, four and a half. (laughs) Four pack. Four pack. (laughs) (laughs) So okay, wow. so you left Select to go mm-hmm. to Columbia. Now, well, yeah, was this? Well, I, I think Terrence was there. What was their big '86 moment for you? I mean, besides Sade or whatever. Gregory right? Abbott. Ooh, wow! Shake, shake gonna, it down. No, you just woke down. Steve up from That's the right. dead. The original <laughs> Mark Morrison. <laughs> Wait a minute, <laughs> he's still asleep. <laughs> Steve, Steve. Yes. shake it down. Start the show. Hey, yes. baby. I bought that for my mother. For Christmas. Stop of course playing, you did. Steve. You know Shake It Down. No, nah, I don't. Girl. Let I'm me tell you all about Steve. You look like Tubbs from Miami Vice. <laughs> no, Steve he did. He did. He did. Yeah. He did. Wait, wasn't Philip Michael Thomas on Columbia? No, he, that was Atlantic. Eddie Atlantic. Murphy was on Columbia. Ooh. Yes, he was. Yeah. Yo, did you read that uh, Prince that. story with yeah. Eddie Murphy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> God, he was on Columbia. That's right. Well, 
okay, the thing Probably about Sugar it. Steve is he is he's the black yacht rock expert. Yacht rock. That's a hell like, of a didn't title. You, didn't you do a, a book report on like On the Wings of Love or something? Yeah, check <laughs> wow. Wow. Yes. No, I'm serious. Like, yeah, play it. That's my joint. <laughs> <laughs> can you just sing it? I can. Yeah. Wait, why did you do a, a report on On the Wings of Love? Okay, so the story was, there, there was it was actually called, it wasn't a report, it was called a rollout. It was for a music class in, in middle school, or junior high as we called it. And um, basically you had to you had to draw the lyrics and then and and then as the, and then and then you get in front of the class you play the song on a radio or whatever and then you slowly roll it out that's why it's called roll it's out it's the Montessori school yeah what the fuck school did you go to <laughs> i see why you right? smoke a lot of weed now. yeah yeah <laughs> did you have grades no so they so <laughs> nice i'm guessing guess nice, like, no. yeah, nice one nice one nice one <sighs> so so anyway, you uh, you get in front of the class and you slowly roll it out while the music's playing so that you see the lyrics in in drawing, <laughs> and so you know the guy the music teacher says choose a choose a song that you love and and use that as your as your rollout topic. And yours was <laughs> on the wings of love. Yo, the only <laughs> so, army yo, song in the class. Matter of fact, you can you describe <laughs> yeah. your? Oh please. <laughs> Oh, any reason to play this song? Come on, Steve, get to me, get to me. No, this is, I need more. So, um, so the day of the uh, rollout comes, and and uh, I'm sitting in the class, and the first, the first, uh, the first student goes, and he chose like Led Zeppelin or something. Next guy comes, and it's Deep Purple, and next guy comes, and it's uh, <laughs> you know, Black Sabbath, <laughs> and uh, and then Steve walks up there, and and I knew right there I had made. Sort of a misjudgment, <laughs> but I had to follow through. And but it turns out that um, I got an A in it because the uh, my music teacher um, was black. No, he was gay. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Sugar Steve. Oh Sugar Steve. Oh man, from downtown. All right, so Gregory Abbott at Columbia in 1986. <laughs> you know that Jeffrey Osborne would do that is was so disappointing to me. Oh, you know, the, how, really? do, how do you go from love ballad and well, what was that? Back 80s, in love. But you see, but the thing is, is that. You, whether you want to admit it or not, I mean, you're hip, but you're a suit. I mean, you're not the artist. I mean, at a label, you're either going to be the artist mm -hmm. or you're going to be the suit. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, what were the conditions at a record label that told that particular artist that I need to cross over and... And win for survival's sake. I don't. I don't think people cross over just for you know, just for the joy of it. I think it's it's. No, it's a calculated decision. It's like some well, yeah, but swim it's for kinda. survival. So no, absolutely. And I mean, particularly in the eighties. I mean, that was at the time where you had like a lot of black artists. I mean, they was making like that fucking ABC Friday Night music. You know what I mean? Like right. fucking stir it up by. Patty and then Corner Sisters. Oh, you really mean ABC Friday Night? Yeah, like the network. 
<laughs> that Luther uh, feel good. Yeah, it was Family Matters. It was that kind of shit. Exactly. Yeah, so Natalie Cole, Pink Cadillac. Exact Pink Cadillac. Oh, well, then again, we did we did learn from Shep Gordon that uh, that black artists really weren't making money on tour. Right. So right. records was their 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 sole means of of you know generating income. Yeah. So. If you didn't have a hit, I mean, it and was, I guess if you're it. watching Thriller, <laughs> right? You, you know, I. You too would say like, "Oh, I want my piece of the pie as well." Yeah, but Harold Faltermeyer, come on, let's go in the studio. Axel's <laughs> 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 theme, <laughs> right? So, yeah, I well, he had one hit though. Yeah, play yeah, me excellent. the Abbott song. So maybe maybe I did hear it. Yes, you definitely know. heard. You've it. heard it. Now you heard "Shake You Down." Yeah, it was a number one hit. Yeah, it was the it was the original "Return of the Mac" for real. Where is he? It now? was "Return of the Mac" was funkier than that. Yeah. It, I mean, just in terms of the, the well, vocal delivery. Yeah. Adler's those. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, who was hitting on Columbia? Hey, Columbia. He was like, were you like, this shit is soft. In 85, in 86. It would have been, it would have probably been Springsteen, right? Yeah, Springsteen. Uh, that Bonnie Tyler record, remember that one? Uh, yeah. Oh, what's called was there. That was uh, yeah. Lisa, but besides, Lisa was there, right? Lisa, Lisa, and Coke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Full Force. Full Force, yeah. That uh, The album with Head to Toe. And um, Big Audio Dynamite, remember them? Elvis yeah. Costello. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who? Of course. Elvis Steve. Costello put out two albums that year okay. on Columbia. So at the time you were working at, so you didn't get to choose what department or... You no, were, I got stuck in um, in a dance music promotion. That's where they put me. Who was your, like your supervisor? Who was the this executive? woman? Gail Bruzewitz. She was the only female in the promotion department. And you know, last day of my, in- I would sit in her office. You know, I'd look at all the plaques on the wall, and I'd be like, "This is me. This is going to be me very soon, and I'm going to have this, and I'm going to have that." Who did you have to look up to back then? Was Sylvia Rohn the only one that was remotely about to win? Well. Even in '86, she was still yeah like not res- an executive yet. Receptionist. No, there was really nobody. no. She wasn't a receptionist by then, was she? Probably not. Oh, okay. Anyway, right. so the last day of my internship, um, I'll also in that time I turned 21 and I had a big birthday party and Run DMC came and Houdini and the Beastie Boys and. Man, it's a lit ass birthday. Yeah. Party. Wait, so how do you me, how do you just know these people off the? Because I was I was out in the clubs and you know, and I had met Russell, totally randomly walking down Bleecker Street with a guy from London Records who knew Russell because London used to distribute Def Jam before they went to Columbia, and okay. so Mike, my friend Mike, introduced me to Russell, and you know my mind's going like you know, a million miles a minute. Like, this is your moment. This is your chance. You better fucking talk your ass off. And like, so I sat, he asked us to sit down and I just like went in on every liner note I had ever read, every artist, producer, musician, everything. And, you know, and he looks at me and he's like, what do you do? I said, you know, I'm in school. And he's like, how do you know so much about black music? I was like, well, this, you know, I grew up listening to this, that, this, and that. He said, you know, I would, I'll, I'd hire you for my company, you know, if I could. So stay in touch, and you know. And you, did you bug him until? I didn't. I didn't. You know, I didn't bug. That was like the summer of '86, and um, I, I did the internship, and you know, I guess the story I was going to tell was the woman who I interned for, um, asked me to come into her office, and she closed the door, and she started crying. 
Yep. And she said, stay away from this business. It's no place for a woman. Mm. You, I'm trying to save you now before you, you, you experience any real heartbreak like I experienced. I'm like, oh, shit. You're now, crazy. With the Molly, you and now, girl. let it out. Yeah. What Molly, is, you and girl. <laughs> what, what do you, I mean, without naming names or whatever, mm-hmm. like what treatment, what is the environment Oh, at a major label, the major label of the moment. Yeah. Oh, was this under? Yeah, yeah, Nikoff, yeah. He had just left, and Al Teller was the president at the time. So, so Al, the, the Al Yetnikoff there era between, between Yetnikoff and Matola. Matola came in 87, right? I, I, I'm not sure. I think so. So that was a very short, that was like 85, 86. Mm-hmm. Practically. Yeah. Wait, why did Yetnikoff get dismissed? I... Don't know. I thought he was part of the whole, you know, pay for play thing that got that everybody got caught up uh, in the scandal. No. Yeah. Well, has that ever stopped? No. No. I thought I told you that we won't stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you talk about that? Cause that's interesting. Being a woman in the time, starting as an intern, and then yeah. the trans- transition to being the first woman at Def Jam. Mm-hmm. Did it make a difference? Yeah, it made a huge difference because you know. I so in April comes of eighty seven, I come home from school, note in the refrigerator, Rick Rubin called. I think it's a joke. I asked my roommate, is this for real? He said, Yeah, I think it is. Call Rick. He said, Yeah, you know, um everybody at Columbia thought you were great. Russell really likes you. We know you're really smart. You want to come work for Def Jam? Just like that. So I said, Sure. He said, do you want to know how much you're going to make? I said, sure. <laughs> you know, I don't care. Okay, so school me, at least before you get to Def Jam. Mm-hmm. What's, the, what's, what's the average pay, salary? like? Oh, I, I don't know. They started me at 18000 a year at Def Jam. 1986? 1987. And you were living in? I was living in, uh, on the, in the village on Sullivan Street between Bleecker and West 3rd and a fifth floor walk up with two other roommates. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. I would have paid them to go work for them. I didn't care. Really? Yeah. What What was it about Def Jam at the time that Def Jam to was Def Jam was everything. I mean, look at the artists that they had, and you know, it was you know, it's a cliche, but it's true. I mean, people would go into the store, you know, and if it's Music Factory or wherever it was, and there's a Def Jam logo on that vinyl, you buy it. You know. I have questions about that though. About yeah? the Def Jam label. Yes. Okay. We'll, we'll get it, well, that it, did, it didn't. That didn't sustain. I'm saying at that at this particular moment in time. Right. You know. Okay. Well, no. I'm. But what I want to know is just what was it that made her warn you? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, those guys were scumbags. They were awful. They were. You know, I would get hit on constantly by, you know, these other promotion guys. Again, it's like the characters in Vinyl Only Real Life. <laughs> Leftover from the 70s, still, you know, in, in that, that mindset of, of total misogyny that's, you know. So at any point, did they, did you, did they use you as a focus group? Like, uh, hey, what do you think about this guy? And it's like Terrence and Darby or, you know, like. <laughs> they didn't ask me anything. I was stuffing envelopes, going to like Latin Quarter, you know. <laughs> it was like. So they I was off doing my was, own thing. Okay, I see. It was just it was enough for me to realize that this is what I wanted to do with my life, but I was going to do it differently. 
so what, what I was you, experiencing at a major label. What were your duties at Def Jam then? Um, it started off with them wanting to start a publishing company. And neither of them knew how to do it, so they wanted me to go sit with people who worked for publishing companies and figure out how it worked and then come back and start one for Def Jam, which is what I did. And then So you had to learn on the spot. I learned on the spot. I sat with lawyers and other publishing executives and you know my big earrings. How does my high top spot belts. (laughs) Spot built. Wow. That's a reference. That should give you a good visual. <laughs> nah, that, that definitely gave me a good yeah. visual. But by the time you got to Def Jam, the treatment was different, right? Because you said that you said the guys were a little bit, they were worse. First of all, we were all like around the same age, you know, so there wasn't that weird thing of like these older dudes and younger females. You know, we were all, and it was just, it was just a different environment. I think we all felt like we were, and again, not to sound like a cliche, you know, but that we were really a part of something special. How felt, long before felt you got that. Your, de- your, your, your jacket? I got my jacket right away. I got the black wool. Wow. Black wool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, if, for those that don't know, um, in 1987, 88, 89, uh, the Def Jam logo on your back, that, that back helped. Everywhere. Wow. That helped power like no other. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, again, I'm saying it like I lived it, which clearly I wasn't there, but... Was it like a limited number of giving out? Mm-hmm. Like, and only certain, like, you had to be a point in management or something like that? No, like, you just, you had to actually work for the company and or, and just be maybe one step removed from working for the company. Interns too? No, I don't think interns got jackets. I don't think we had interns. There weren't enough of us. There was only five of us. We didn't need, who needed interns? Oh, you know? Okay. But the the what was the power of the Def Jam jacket? Oh, that could get you like chased down the street. Oh. Demos. Mm. Oh, okay. This is the first <laughs> negative <bad>. connotation. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, everyone else I talk to is like, yeah, man, I can get in any nightclub, whatever. I didn't think about that. I was already like able to do that, so it's so just... you wouldn't pimp like you wouldn't wear that jacket as your your. No, I didn't need to. I already in, in terms of all the clubs and stuff, I was already. An, looped in so and established okay yeah so you so you started their publishing company for them yes that was the first I thing i didn't know I did. that was something that had to be established or even it, it doesn't it just they thought of it as you know another money-making opportunity for the company that they weren't taking advantage of and other people were and that's what they wanted to do so they wanted to start their own Motown version of Jobet or yes exactly so did that mean all the Def Jam artists had to sign their publishing over to Def Jam well that was that was the the intent yes did that happen no okay because the artists were like right the hell out of here right artists that time had attorneys and things like that (laughs) you know all right y'all You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, 
you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. The concept of original concept, mm-hmm. was it, were they a DJ crew with, I, all the advertisements I saw was like stressing that, you know, they're a DJ outfit mm-hmm. with some MCs. Like, yeah, that sounds take, right. That well, it was right. with Dr. Dre from yeah from Yom TV, Yom Raps, TV Raps and T Money. I forget the the other. I forget their other names too. Damn, Faith. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was 30 years ago. <laughs> Damn, you made me feel bad. For <laughs> what were you doing in 1985? Okay. So, but there's there's no story or recollection of. I mean, at one point at that Def Jam building, mm-hmm. the heat got turned on as far as like, you know, that it's was funny fir- you should say that because we didn't have any heat in that building. Really? Literally. So it was, it was great. We had to wear our troop jackets, you know. Really? Yeah. Until when? Until we moved out of that building. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, at what point are you promoted to? To doing A&R? Yeah. Um. Well, also, well, aside from the publishing thing, I also kind of, I set up the whole, like, A&R admin part of the company that didn't exist prior to... I was like, it's five of you, though, right? Yeah. So it was me doing, creating the admin structure. How did you know to do this? I learned, talked to lawyers and people at labels and figured it out. So it was just a learning curve. But by this point, like, isn't CBS part of the... Yeah. Yeah, we were distributed. And I spent a lot of time up in Columbia. Did they give you guys your own cubicle section or do you always no. stay in the Def Jam building? No, we'd always come up to their building. To use their resources and... Yeah, just to... Yeah, exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how do you... How do you... Like, how do you establish an admin? This is stuff I don't even know that you should be doing now. Like, I didn't right. know that... Well, there was no, like, a PO system for the studio. So the studio costs were like out of control. 
Nobody was really monitoring it. So it was, it was a lot of the company just kind of bleeding money in a lot of places because nobody was, like, minding the store. So it was up to you to handle the business of Def Jam. It was up to me to handle the Jam. business of Def Jam, yeah. And you took that initiative on your own? Yes. You just got tired of studios like, you guys owe me $17,000. Well, the guy who was supposed to be handling a lot of this stuff, um, one day Rick called me upstairs and said, um, "This was I guess I had been there for four months, and he said, um, I'm giving you a promotion, I'm giving you a raise, and I'm firing George, and I want you to take his job. Mm. Yeah. Did you have to fire George? Did I didn't have to fire George. Rick hired Rick fired George. Okay. Yeah. And um, and that's how I started doing all that the admin stuff that he hadn't been doing. He was, you know, too busy doing other things. So is this where Bigger and Deffer enters the picture? Uh, yep. All right. Now I know that a big part of Rick's disdain for that follow-up record. One, he didn't work on it, but two, he hated I Need Love. Mm-hmm. Now, when you guys are getting your daily report, I'm assuming that you guys are operating like a real record label mm-hmm. where you listen to daily reports and, and listen to new music and this is where we are with the LL record. Are you guys in a room at the same time where they're like, yo, this is the one. <laughs> like, what are y'all thinking? I wasn't thinking that it was the one. I think Columbia was really a big part of pushing that. Really? Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I read somewhere that you said you're a very me- melodic type person. So a lot of these songs, in my mind, I thought, mm-hmm. were you the one that became the voice of women in a way that, okay, so you know how they say there are women, female records, mm-hmm. you know, the ones mm-hmm. with the hooks that you can sing. So mm-hmm. before you entered the room, was there nobody, was there anybody who thought like that? Because I would think that I need, love would have been one of yours, but. Yeah, I mean, to me, you know, I was like a real hip hop head. So that sounded, you know, to me, it sounded mm-hmm. corny. To me, really, it's not yeah. corny to a lot. Of you didn't, agree, but you didn't see the dollar signs. Like, yo, this is gonna win. Uh, Hip hop first real ballot, right? Yeah, for the ladies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Up to that point, you didn't really have. Well, it's not true. No, I mean, he had "I Want You" and and I can give you more, but it was oh, too yeah. beat. It was too beat heavy. Like I can give you more, and still got play on. Like the street hip hop hour of you know yeah, right. of of Philadelphia, so you know it's wow that's amazing to me. So you just you had Luke Wert, not even I'm not saying did you personally like it? Did you think it was going to be effective to help the product sell, or did you think oh he's losing his he might lose his credibility with this? That's what I thought. Word, yeah, but I was a purist, so. I didn't even know that there was a such thing as purists back then. Well, not even a purist. I, I mean, hip hop wasn't selling out back then. This was nah. the first. This was the first risky, like this. This song would mark the first risk of the compromise of, right. of hip hop. But I don't think I think it, it kind of was selling out back then because you know I don't I don't think that. The pot of money wasn't as big as it was back then, you know, as it is now. You know what I mean? So, I think like particularly with LL in particular, I remember reading. I think it was in his book or something. And he was saying something to the effect of when he was younger, like he would like diss movies and people who did movies or whatever. And 
when of course you know knowing where he went to his movie and TV career when they checked asked him on it he would say well the reason why I dissed it was because I didn't think it was possible for me at the time so mm-hmm. like in 86 I think it was a much more risk of quote unquote selling out back then because the stakes weren't really as high it was kind of like yeah, I don't think no one knew that there was that much money. I mean, if he did rapping Duke, da-ha, da-ha. yeah, and those he, were novelty records, though. Yeah, you know if I mean? he you did know, something you know, silly like that, you know what it is though is that it wouldn't have mattered because radio wasn't going to play hip hop anyway. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know when I. Okay, so I think Brian Cut Creator's cousin uh, went to my high school, and so he had an early copy of Bigger and Deffer. Mm-hmm. And when I first heard I Need Love, like, and again, I wasn't thinking in terms of the future. Like, I straight plagiarized that joint <laughs> and wrote down every lyric and gave it to, to a girl. <laughs> oh, wow. No, I was the man for like a month and a half. Before and then, the record came out. <laughs> <when I'm alone>. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Like, Why does this sound so funny? <laughs> Do that shit in your face. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I don't think it was a because I mean I remember when that record came out and I was just so happy to hear hip hop on the radio that it didn't, you know, I you know I remember I remember I'm bad the first time I heard I'm bad and I was like oh shit but mm-hmm. then I need love and I was like oh shit they're playing this on the radio because yeah. you just and it was number it one time. for two weeks on Billboard's uh, the. I they called it. it the black charts then. Yeah, I was like, like race charts. records. Race records. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, wow. All right, so it, once once it catches fire and you realize that we're all gullible, mm-hmm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> then what were you thinking? Mm, I was thinking, um, I was thinking I was glad I was on the album. <laughs> <laughs> so you thought, thought that there could be a chance that this album might not do as good as radio? I think it became clear that that wasn't going to be the case. It was going to be much bigger. All right. So because all these doors were open to him, Mm -hmm. were those doors open to him or was it just just a perception in my mind that the world was his oyster? Like I remember you telling me that you know what was the what was the rap budget for LL Cool J's follow up out like what's what for Walking with the Panther? No, no, no. I mean for bigger and deafer. Bigger and deafer. Like mm-hmm. I remember you telling me that like you know all the LA po- first of all why was the LA posse chose chosen? I, have, I don't know how that happened. Was LL just always out in Cali a lot? And yeah, then, and hooked up with them and. Why didn't Rick Rubin get chosen to produce the next record? I don't know. I th- I think he thought he wanted maybe he wanted more artistic control. He wanted to be somebody he brought into the mix. I'm not sure. Really? Mm-hmm. But like there wasn't anyone at the label to tell him like, yo, like I don't think Rick wanted to do it's it. It's not broken. Don't you know I don't think Rick wanted to do it. <clears throat> Really? Yeah. I, it, that it's not strange to you? Yeah, it's really strange to me now. Looking back on it, yeah. Okay, when we get Rick Rubin, that's exactly what I'm asking. Okay. Why didn't you follow up? Yeah, I mean, this all happened. You know, this whole thing went down in '86 before I got there. So, 
Rick was also busy doing like Slayer records and stuff. He was really into his death metal shit, you know, Danzig, Slayer. In, in fact, you know, when I had my interview with him, my first, the first, when he called me and he said, will you come, you know, come and we'll talk about the job. And so I, I went to him and uh, I was, you know, I, I just had so much I wanted to ask him and so much I wanted to say. And I was talking about different records and he said, you know, I'm not really into like the hip hop thing right now. Really? Mm-hmm. Damn. He pulled me into the hip hop. Yeah, damn. That's what he said, and he's I'm and he told me about these 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 you know these metal acts that he was working with. He came back. Why are you heartbroken? Well, it took like twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's so that's why I say I think that he was just in a different mind state. And yeah. like I think uh, from what I've read, like there was just a lot of tension between him and, him and Russell, and he was just yeah. starting to lose a lot lose interest in the, the hip hop thing at all. Yeah, that's and absolutely just, correct. Uh, just and he, and he told me as much. So. <laughs> Just a phase. Lose the limp and walk home. Just a phase. <laughs> oh, God. You just, uh, Kaiser yeah. shows her. Yeah. I see. So, of course, you come aboard after the, the license to ill. I I thought that perhaps maybe the after effects of license to ill, and this is, well, I mean, at the time, it sold at least seven, eight million. Mm-hmm. So, I would figure that would single-handedly give you guys the juice monetarily at least to stand on your own two and oh yeah, yeah allow yeah. you to sign everything yep and um, I did. so the again i i have these romantic visions of the perception of nation of millions mm-hmm. that was the a, first album i got thanked on i was excited well that's oh. the first <laughs> rap album with real liner notes that i've ever seen the album that I feel as though really at least got the rock critics' attention mm-hmm. as far as really, I mean, the message, the message as a single did some, you know, did some work in, in helping to make hip hop credible in the eyes of rock critics. But, um, I mean, if you were around and aware, of music journalists in 1988, you saw nothing like the ripple effect of what Nation of Millions had on rock critics. Uh, I think that particular year, it it topped the Paz and Jop uh, critics mm-hmm. poll. The Paz and Jop uh, is kind of the uh, the music critic version of what I would deem uh, Rotten Tomatoes, where you just sum up in total every music critic across the country they give their top 10 lists and reasons for why they felt these albums were important and uh nation of millions was the first hip-hop record i believe an album uh to top the polls mm-hmm. um so at the time when you guys are getting this i've, I've heard a lot of stories that, uh including well dmc told me that it was him and Jam Master J that even allowed Rebel Without a Pause to be because Russell hated Rebel Without a Pause. So I'm assuming again that you're saying that Russell's taste and Rick's taste were very different. Yeah. <coughs> well, I mean, the the story, you know, it's a true story that that Russell never liked Public Enemy from the beginning and thought that they should be, you know, wearing Adidas sweatsuits and you know he just had his own vision of what it should be and Rick had a had another vision 
it's just crazy to me. Like how okay, how you see like three white kids from Brooklyn and you see dollar sign. Mm. But you can't see the you know these scary. This this crew from Long Island. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess if on paper a a group from Long Island could be the most political important group of mm-hmm. of, of our time and you just don't see how that works. Now, Public Enemy was probably, I can see them being a very tough sell. It was scary sounding. It was noisy. Yeah, for, for, <laughs> 80, for, for 88, it was, mm-hmm. it, was, it was some radical shit. And they're black. Like, maybe if they were white, it'd be an easier sell yeah. for Russell since he is black. Sometimes we get in our own way, right? I don't know. Well, yeah, but I'm just saying that for me, I just, I thought there was an instant easy sell because the way that Chuck D kind of centered the group. Which, I mean, when I saw them, I didn't. Nece- I mean, I'm not saying I didn't pay attention, but right. o- only when when too much posse came on, and then I realized, wait, one of these guys talks way more shit than the other members do. <laughs> <laughs> I I couldn't tell. Like you see the album cover, you just see like six black guys. You're like, oh, which which one is talking? Who's the one? Right, right. But I noticed, like, wait. One of these guys talks way more shit than the other guys do in this group. And then that that became my attraction. Like anytime the shit talking one spoke, it was funny. Yeah. And so and but that was by design. Like they Absolutely. purposely Yeah, it was the fall. Flav was the They fall used flavor Flav. He was a full of sugar. I always wanted to know this story, mm-hmm. Faith, about public enemy. Because somebody recently said that to me that everything was so purposeful in the way that the group was put together. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Like and how much was it purposeful and how much was just organic? I think a lot of it was very purposeful. I think well, there was you know they had the um, they had the radio show, you know, and that's how Chuck WBAI right? yeah, and that's how Chuck connected with Flavor. So that was organic. That was before they kind of actually started a, the group. Yeah, it was Spectrum City. So. Spectrum City, yeah. Um, but the whole idea of adding the S one Ws and the whole thing that was that was you know that was show business. It was Chuck. smart. Is very smart. Well, this leads to all right. Before we get to your Columbia Illmatic period, mm-hmm. um, one of my favorite stories of all time. If I mean the reason why I even wanted to do this show is just so that one day MC Search could come on. A, a guy who has so many stories of yeah. Of, you want to come on? Yes. When? Calm down, my ass. Sorry, I love Search too. <laughs> So according to Search, um, Hammer hears uh, his mom's being called out like that. Uh, Pete Nice was trying to explain to Hammer that it was a pun of turn this mother out, the cactus turned Hammer's mother out, but... Hammer yeah, wasn't having What was having the it. other way? What was the... Yeah, what was the good way of looking at yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Well, so, anyway... It, they put a hit out on their lives, and I guess the the legend Hammer is that. Hammer put a hit out on third base's lives. Oh, yeah. Oakland. Oakland. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so as Search gets on the plane, Search and uh, Pete Nice get on the plane. I think they're flying out to L.A. to do the party machine, Okay. Uh, which is Arsenio Hall's uh, post-show. Hosted uh, by Nia Peoples. Wow. Yes. Nia yeah. Peoples, yep. Wow. Mrs. Howard Hewitt. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. Briefly, yeah. yeah, they were. Yeah, you they were together. Wait, were you around in the eighties? 
Oh, they got married. Yeah, yeah. for a while though. Right, right, right. Man, I want to say didn't they have a kid or two. It was like right after she did Fame. Yes. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so the 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 five hour duration of this flight. I'm not going to give the entire story away because Search will tell it way better than me. Mm-hmm. But um, it it there was a lot of kumbaya and having to you know to go on uh to keep them from getting killed, mm-hmm. which ended with. Michael Concepcion, uh, oh, sitting, oh, sitting next to, oh. yeah, in his wheelchair, sitting next to Michael Jackson, who oh, wasn't yeah. even supposed to be. If you remember the American Music Awards, with uh, when Eddie Murphy and Michael Jackson are giving each other like Artist of the Decade awards, right, right, whatever, right. none of that stuff was ever supposed to happen. Okay, so I guess Russell, since that the threat to their lives was so big. That Russell called Donnie and Tommy to please make something happen, and of course, in talking to Michael Concepcion, the only person that could put the halt to the hit was him. One of one of his stipulations was one: find me a label to do. We're all in the all same, same gang. gang. Oh wow! Ah. Which is weird because Russell could have just easily said, "I'll put it on my label," but instead, Russell's like, uh, nah, "Go to Warner, go to Warner, right?" <laughs> right. <laughs> like I don't want nothing to do with you. It was all West Coast acts, though, right? Yeah, I was about yeah. to say third so, base yeah. wasn't on there. Well, no, it was not even third base. Def Jam didn't even have any acts on that record. Yeah, I I would have just thought in in. I mean, in a five-hour flight to L.A. and you're trying to save someone's life, mm. he was still like, Mm-mm, "I don't go to Warner Brothers. I'll, I'll hook you up. Like, there's somebody <laughs> over there that will take your record." Nah, um, he would have had nothing to benefit from that. Oh, well, especially true. if you heard the rest of that all in the same gang album. Don't you know you got to? Get <laughs> did you buy that as well? I did not buy it. I dodged that bullet. So a buddy I. of mine nope. bought it, it's and a, I listened. It's about was, Bill. It's about I, Bill. Bill, did you purchase? <laughs> We're all in the same gang album. Uh, no, just you? the twelve inch. Okay, it was that. That one was that bad. Yeah, that one. Was it was bad. more songs with the same yeah. groups it was album. of people. It was, no, it wasn't. Nah, with uh, the group. It was just like solo tracks from other people that. Yeah, about no that. one knew. Oh damn. Nah, anyway. that stuff was not at all. Oh, okay, like Def Jeff's weed rollers. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, anyway, um, so Michael. So then, the legend is that. Donnie and Tommy Mottola had to then call up Dick Clark uh, to, oh, because uh, Michael Concepcion insisted on sitting next to Michael Jackson American Music Awards. And they're like, well, he's not coming. He's not up for anything. So that's not going to happen. He's like, well, I'm sorry. I can't help you. Okay, we'll make it happen. And then they had to beg Dick Clark to give Michael a, a special award. But then once Bob Jones... And Michael Jackson reluctantly agreed to do this. Then their stipulation was, well, someone important has to give it to us. Wow. <coughs> we want Eddie Murphy to give us this award. And Eddie Murphy's so busy doing. Uh, was it Billings? Uh, no. no, Harlem Knights. Harlem Knights. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah, he couldn't leave the set. So then they had to call the the Paramount. Had, like, this just. Oh, my God. Just, yeah. <laughs> the amount of, set off. of domino fuckery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just for this moment. So. Was this worth this faith? No, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it, for third base. Yeah, for right. All this shit over there. Third base album jam. Yeah, the, even the, even a, a, a side like a filler cut. Um, so the whole third base project. Did you sign third base? No, but I worked with him. How did they come into your 
how did they even come to the Def Jam? They came to Def Jam, as far as I can recall, through Sam Sever. Okay, but was this was this some Chico Bars D'Angelo revenge mission thing <laughs> with, but, with Qatar? For the Beastie, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> like the Beastie Boys left us, so now we need a new white group with credibility. To- yeah, that had something to do with it. And Search was really, I mean, I met him in eighty. I want to say 85 at Union Square. Okay. When people, guests come on the show, mm-hmm. everyone has a Latin Quarter story. Were you a Latin Quarter head? or Absolutely. You, oh. How come I'm not meeting anyone that's like, hell no, I never went to Latin Quarter. Oh, I lived in the Latin Quarter. Would I, would I have been that person? Yes. <laughs> Dante, Dante Ross told you that. You, yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't have gone there. Yeah. So you still would go to Latin Quarter even though there was a risk factor involved. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you, and it was worth it. It was worth it every time, except for the night that they shut it down, where I was at that night. Everybody was there at the night they shut, shut down, down. Latin Corner. Wait, yeah. what happened the night they shut down? As I remember it, yeah, LL was there, and somebody snatched his chain, mm. which happened a lot at the Latin Quarter, you know, and it set off the sequence of events with like this. I don't know, people like this mass of people running to get away. I think somebody had a knife or something. And like, and then everybody just spilling out into Times Square afterwards. But I remember there was like, you went upstairs to the, you came in, then you went upstairs. That's where the main area was. And there was this like this marble, like mirrored thing on the side of the stairs. It was just covered with blood, like all the way down. Yeah. And no bullets. No That's bullets. Like hard work blood. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like hard work blood. <laughs> you know, stabbing and punching. Yeah. Yeah, it might be the quarter of the episode. Right. Sounds <laughs> like hard work blood. <laughs> As I remember, that was the last night. It was the last night I ever went there. It was the last night for anybody. the last night I went to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You only got one time. <laughs> right. And still. It like, wasn't as bad as a rooftop. And you still went to the rooftop? I stopped going to the rooftop. <laughs> what was the rooftop like? It was crazy, but there was a lot of a lot of shit went down the rooftop. All right, so what's the pros of going to the rooftop in the Latin Quarter? What's the pros? The pros, especially Latin Quarter. I mean, P.E. did their first show there. I heard that didn't go over too well, though. I thought it was great. I didn't mind. <laughs> it didn't go over great. It wasn't, you know. Okay. So I've been to the tunnel during the tunnel period, the tunnel of like, era, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So was was it the equivalent of going to the tunnel? Yes. Nightclub with big speakers that were yes. just just crazy. You imagine they're playing like nobody beats the biz, like loud, loud as shit. Loud mm. as shit. Like, all right, it was the shit. So there was worth it. So as yeah. a woman, as a white person, mm-hmm. as someone that works at Def Jam with this this jacket. Well, even though you were past Def Jam, I'm certain that you had some sort of swaggish mm-hmm. aura about you mm-hmm. that let people know that, oh, there's Faith Newman from da 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 or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I like, did. that didn't bother you. Like, first of all, how does how does anyone get that close to LL to, for him to even get his chain? chain? Like, is there not a VIP section? Or you're not even safe in VIP? I don't think there's... Was there a VIP section? I don't remember him being in a special section. Wow. I don't remember that. So you just, why, wait, I would figure that LL was past. 
Maybe it's the stuff of legend. I don't know. It it's like what year would, but have, every, would this have been? Eighty six. So yeah, he wouldn't have been past Latin quarter. Or eighty seven. Sorry, eighty seven. My mistake. Eighty seven. Nah, nah, he wouldn't have been past it. Yeah. I don't know. I just imagine like LL just being too big or too good for that. Yeah, but do you go there and you like show up and you're like the fucking man? Oh, I'm still down. Yeah. Or yeah. I see. So even uh, with Union Square and any of those. Union Square was the bomb, too. But you had, you know, you had uh, the Bronx and Queens, like, separated by levels. Yeah, because that's what Kid and Play rhymed about. That's my experience of Union Square. <laughs> wow. I, I just know the Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff joint. On the, yeah, on the, on the He's the DJ, on the rapper. Yeah. yeah. Yo, but there's something to what you just asked, Faith, though, because I'm curious, like, how mm-hmm. you how you were back then, because, like, your shit didn't stink, and you mm-hmm. were very young. Mm-hmm. You were having parties where Grandmaster Flash was DJing at your house mm-hmm. and stuff like that. <laughs> so, like... How was the uh, the ego and the humbleness back then? Because you knew that I you were the still. Sh- I, no, it, it was different. Like I knew that I was, but I was humble at the same time. Like I think, uh, yeah. I mean, I you know I was one of the only you know I was the only w- woman at Def Jam at the time. That was that was something, you know. So that still held weight and honor. Yes. Okay, but you also mentioned people chasing you with their demos. And that's the thing. Yeah. Like, when Marley Maul did this episode, and I'm like, yo, dude, you're still living in the projects when all these hits are out. How are these people not stalking you mm-hmm. to make them stars? Because normally the people that will stalk you, that and the which is weird hearing that the way that you approach Russell Simmons. One, what or who's protecting you from stalkers Especially with Def Jam, mm-hmm. the label that everyone dreamed of being on, which I'm certain that you guys got way more no's than yes. Speaking of which, mm-hmm. who did y'all say no to? That um, is there is is the list of they're not Def Jam material like. Of, I, of I mean, I, this is gonna sound you know like a, like a gimme, but uh, um, Vanilla Ice. <laughs> oh, wow, <laughs> was he close to? Coming to Def Jam, or was it like... No, it was a demo. It was like a just, you know, a demo like any other demo. So you would listen to, actively listen to demos? Mm-hmm. How long did you listen to his? Not very long. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I was with um, this guy, uh, Jorge, who came to be known as Curious. Yeah, I was, was about to say, yeah, Curious George, man. He was my intern, actually, wow. at Def Jam at the time. That album was dope, too. I liked the Concentrated Monkey album. I, did you? I did. It was Good. dope. So... What did what did you and George say when he said it was bananas and he threw it in the trash? <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. 
Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic. So slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. One, one of the themes that uh, always comes up during uh, Questlove Supreme is the idea of your heart uh, having good taste, good or bad, versus your brain, mm-hmm. which is, is this effective or non-effective? Now, as an employee, are you not thinking, I have to pick some winners for us to sell versus you wanting just to have this pedigree of great work to be on this label. So was was there pressure to... I was a pedigree person. I couldn't help it. And And as the label kind of became, you know, distorted um, by the next, you know, decade, decade or the next or that that difficult transition period, you know, in 91, it definitely affected me. I felt like, you know, that I felt that the brand had been really compromised, compromised. Yes. Forever. I mean, it came back, but at that time it was... It was the reason I left. Was there a moment when you're like, "Oh, this is it. Um, I'm done." The Don. In there. <laughs> Does anyone remember the Don? I do not remember Mm-mm. the Don. None well, of not Godfather Don. It, it was. It was no. He had a song called "In There." All right, how did the Don? Was the Don? He had a song with Ted Nugent on. It. Oh my oh goodness! My on, uh, Def <laughs> on Def Jam. Well, it wasn't Def Jam. It became R.A.L. Uh, Russian Russia Russia Associated Labels. labels. Yeah, yeah. Am I am I to assume that the reason for the Don's being was to get some tone look money or yeah because in that. there sounded like at least Funky Fun Cole Medina's Medina. cousin yeah I saw it a lot on like video the box. hot yeah. track yeah the bo- especially the box yes yeah. that shit sounded like Funky Cole Cisco <laughs> <laughs> nah bro so who it. signed the Don Leor. Oh my God! And now I the totally, totally, totally forgot to ask you. I forgot Leo worked at Def Jam. Mm-hmm. No, he worked at Rush. Yes, we hadn't gotten to him yet, right? Like we're just getting. No, we. No, he's been at Rush. Him. Yeah, oh, wow. and he I just love... didn't have anything to do with the label side until he did. So <laughs> until he did. <laughs> what are your <laughs> What are your Leo stories? 
I met older Lior, nicer to me, Lior. I don't have a Lior invitation to give you, Lior. Mm-hmm. We've heard your Lior invitation. No, he was a different person then. So I could say it wasn't a pleasant experience. Correct. Yes. In in hindsight, do you feel as though he was an effective person to work for? Being as though the heights that Def Jam think he has had... later gone to. Do you think Def Jam would have naturally gone to the heights, Jay-Z, DMX? No. Without someone No, I credit him. I'm just saying there was there was a, at the helm. There was a period in time where it just it was really rocky. And I had been there almost five years at that point, and it was time for me to go. Okay. Where did you guys disagree? Hmm? Where did you guys disagree? As far, because obviously your exit had to be at a disagreement. Leo, it was. I think you it said- was. It was a. It was one of those things where I had been. I was the liaison between Def Jam and Columbia, so I was always up there anyway. Went to their A and R meetings. Went to their you know retreats that they had and oh, stuff. Oh, so when those guys didn't feel like. So I was I was you, the person you who were the Def Jam person. I was a Def Jam person at Columbia. Kind of like okay, so you know, like comedians always joke. To black comedians will joke like have one white friend on standby because right, right, right. somebody's going to have to talk to the police. <laughs> right. So you were the, the, I guess, the liaison, Columbia whisperer, <laughs> the Columbia whisperer, the Columbia whisperer, like that. Yes, put a nice face on. All right, so you were the liaisons there, and then yeah. where's the? And they always said to me, Donnie would say, "If you ever want to make a change, you know, come work for us. Come to death row. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, if you don't want your executives throwing sandwiches, <laughs> <laughs> all in the tours, <laughs> dancing, come to Columbia." <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's exactly what you did. <laughs> yeah. So there wasn't sure a straw that, that, that broke the camel's Oh, no. Back. Leo and I had a, had an argument about something. Um, he blamed my assistant for losing some LL Cool J master tapes or something that mm-hmm. she didn't do. It wasn't her fault. He insisted I fire her. We had a back and forth, and I just said, I'm done with this, and I was done. So, Sony. Yeah. CBS and CBS building. When I first started, they had just done the deal with Sony. Okay. I, I keep on forgetting to call them CBS first. Yeah. Is CBS still a thing now? Is it just Records? No, they got no, they divested all of all their oh, okay. music properties. So you took Donnie's advice and mm-hmm. went to death row. <laughs> Came on over. <laughs> went to the dark side. Did you regret it? No, not at all. And I thought it was kind of interesting because, you know, I had interned there you know, years ago as this intern trying to come up in the world. And, and you were there discouraged was, from coming back. And I was discouraged from coming back, and I came back as an executive. So. What? That's and the I was best. 25, 25? You go, Faith Newman. Thanks, you go. Here. That's 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 it's rather triumphant. Did you have uh, the working girl theme from Carly Simon play in your office? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> as you were... <laughs> <laughs> Looking at the skyline of New York exactly. City, <laughs> my coffee mug. Um, one of the you you signed a lot of acts, and one of the acts that I was shocked to find out that you signed a uh, favorite of mine was Jamiroquai. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? What? First of all, what was the first act that you did sign to Nas? Even before Jamiroquai? 
It was around, kind of around the same time, actually. Nas was like the first act that I, I was two weeks into the job when I signed Nas. And, then, and that was like in uh, October, and in December I signed Jamiroquai. 92? 91. Wow, it took three years for that to even... What was it about Jamiroquai that made you... Fly to London the week before Christmas. Damn. Yeah. Um, it's a demo. Um, you know, they were signed to Acid Jazz in the UK. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kieran Hurley from Acid Jazz came to see me. He said, I just want you to listen to this. It was a demo, you know, a cassette demo, one song, of When You Gonna Learn. Yes. I thought it was a woman singing. I couldn't, you know. <laughs> exactly. You know? Yes. I said, who is she? He said, it's not she, it's a he. And he's white. <laughs> and um, so so that was it. It was the one song, and I said, I got to go, and I got to sign this guy. And that's really how it happened. And to you, like, did you expect them or have visions of them blowing up in the States, or was it just I like- think I did. I mean, I was so into the music. I thought for sure that it would it would translate you gonna get um, these ferraris jay <laughs> he, he got them yeah. he got them jesus christ just yeah. not no, just not from here he um it would when we when the roots toured in europe in italy in 95 i believe uh with jamiroquai there's a drive uh from one city in italy to the other side of it which is like a a 14 hour trek mm. um jay actually purchased uh a ferrari at the one city we were at and drove behind his tour bus mm-hmm. the entire 14 hour duration yep he to, made that much off of that the the first the album that one virtual insanity did he was nah, huge overseas was, yeah they were huge overseas Wow, so right now he doesn't Virtual have to Insanity, do... that was like that was four hours before. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah, Emergency on Planet Earth was the first one. So mm-hmm. he's like a Craig David in that way. Like, we might not know, but he is really killing it. Yeah, America still. was late. Okay. Yeah, America was late. was late, and they never really got it. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's okay. It's weird, like, Jamaica is like a one-hit wonder in yeah. America. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Virtual Insanity was Remember like that guy that slid all over the floor? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, the guy with the hat. With the hat. I thought I th- that Space Cowboy was incredible. Yeah, Space yeah, Cowboy yeah. was. Absolutely. Yeah. Shout out to BET for putting me on to that. Yeah. Video vibration. Yeah. yeah. Well, being as though they blew up in Europe, mm-hmm. like, were there, was there a separate, uh, would Columbia treat, like, d- different divisions, different, I mean. Yeah, that it was more in the inter- in the hands of the international department than... I think they knew after the first album that it was a tough sell over here. So they, they didn't just... have a, they didn't have a radio record. That's what I kept hearing. There's no radio record. There's no radio record. There's no radio record. Well, shout out to my boy uh, Fred uh, at MTV, uh, Fred Jordan, um, who that was the person that showed us the virtual insanity video. But like, how did was that just a stroke of luck that? Yeah. Well, I was I was gone from Columbia, Columbia at that time. Mm-hmm. All right, I see. Um, so with Nas, mm-hmm. what was it that told you to? Was it search or like what was the the relationship? Um, well, I heard him on the Main Source album, like most people, 
and uh, and I like lost my mind. I said, I got to find this kid. And I was already working. I was still working at Def Jam at the time. Right. And um, so I asked Pauly, you know, large professor, what's up with this kid, Nasty Nas? You know, can I meet him? You know, and um, and he was kind of pushing me on signing Akinelli. Man. Right. <laughs> and, not, and not Nas, you know. So, um, so that was kind of like a tail end of my time at Def Jam. I took a month off before I started at Columbia. And apparently in that time, from what Nas tells me, he went up to Def Jam with Large Professor to find me specifically. Mm-hmm. I was already gone. And so this happened and then I you know I was at Columbia I was two weeks in and search um, came to my office and because he knew that I was trying to find Nas that wanted this kid and he said I have his demo and played it for me two songs um, and I went down the hall to the head of the A&R department and said you know you have to let me sign this kid you don't have to let me sign anything else the entire time I'm here. You have to let me sign this kid. Was it that hard of a sale, though? Yeah, to the pe- corporate people at Columbia. I mean, but it was '91. Ni- Columbia didn't really have much of a hip hop department Columbia outside of that. Was Def why Jam. they hired me. Well, at CNC it. Music Fest. No, boy. They, they, <laughs> Freedom Williams solo album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're saying that it was a hard sell. To even get Nas. Yeah. Well, but it wasn't, it wasn't, because part of the reason they hired me was they wanted their own rap division, because they had Def Jam. Well, they also they had, had Rough, Rough House. House. I they had say. So So Def. Mm. Yeah, but they didn't want that. They wanted all, they wanted to have their own. You know? so they, didn't so wanna, they didn't want to share with anybody. But as, ah, okay. as, as, wait, so is Michael, uh, Michael Malden? Michael Malden. Yeah, was, no, not was he there at that point? Not yet. So... Okay, I would think that as a label, having uh, these sub-labels mm-hmm. would satisfy that itch. So if you're Donnie and you're, you're, you're um, Tommy, uh, I would just think like, oh. Matter of fact, wasn't Nas initially on Rough House? Or was that just no, strictly that was for me. the zebra head? That was me having this moment of, oh no, nobody's going to know what to do with this record. Let's just put it out on Rough House. At least we'll get you know the right marketing people and the right promotion people because they wanted me to have this division, but I didn't have. There wasn't any, really anybody in house, right? Yeah, no staff, no. Right. So I said, let's put it out through Rough House. What did you imagine or or hope for with this record? Because for Nas, yeah, I think the idea of Illmatic and even the the process of it mm-hmm. became bigger than. Yeah, the more the, as time went on, it's like it 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 you know came it's like these mythic proportions. Well, you know? what I, what I didn't know the thing that makes Illmatic so special, or at least what made it such a game changer that people rarely discuss is the fact that this will mark the first time that multiple producers uh, will handle a hip hop album, whereas. Uh, the status quo was like one, one producer mm-hmm. sees the whole project through. Mm-hmm. Um, did this idea seem as radical to you at the time to not let one person produce the entire record? No, it felt really natural, actually. 
But it's never happened before. Right. It just because all of these people wanted to work with him. So it only made sense that everybody who wanted to work with him, all these great producers, got an opportunity to be a part of the project. Who who was lining up? Because, first of all, it's, it's ten songs on the record. Really nine, but ten. It was, it was supposed to be 12. Yeah, I was going to say, like, who who got rejected? It, it It's not a question of rejected. It's um, um, the album was so heavily bootlegged and so ubiquitous everywhere i mean overseas i mean everybody had a copy of that album that we had to rush it out before it was ready and that's why there's only nine songs really mm-hmm. so you just i see yeah i read you said they were cutting more records as the joint came out like you mm-hmm. were working on more stuff yep yeah it just wasn't enough time there would have been another premiere cut for sure mm. So in a perfect world, you would have made it a traditional hip-hop record of the time, which in 94, I mean, hip-hop records were still like 16 to 18 songs. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're, getting, we're getting with skits and all that shit. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Who, who was the first? Uh, we'll say Public Enemy. Was Nation of, I think Nation of Millions was the first single record that had like double album mm-hmm. status. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely the, one of the first album with interludes on it. So yeah, with 16 songs on it. So that's the thing that struck me about this record that it was, that made it different to me because yeah. like most classic records in the mind of the music consumer, like Stevie Wonder's Inner Visions or Thriller or whatever, like all those albums clock in at 32, 33 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then you're out. So, you know, you were fine with that. Just we were perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Was he fine with that? Yeah, I think he wanted it done and out too. Okay. So, I mean, was it smooth? Like, why did it take two years to make? And he just, um, well, he had his friend. Was it an easy record away. to make? That's what it I'm was. Asking. No, it was a difficult record to make. How so? Well, he had his friend pass away, so that, you know, um, that was tough. And then he just wasn't, sometimes he showed up to the studio and sometimes he didn't show up to the studio. You kind of never knew what you were going to get. Sometimes he was feeling it and he'd write and sometimes he wasn't feeling it and he'd go home or wherever. It's just, it was just a long, long, long process. Who who was the person that had the chokehold of? I mean, I know like with having work with MCs, like you can't if you force them, you'll traumatize them into mm-hmm. permanent writer's block. Mm-hmm. So this could have easily been a, a Jay Electronica situation. Where, <laughs> it could have been easily. So how were you? Like, who was the designated person that was there to kind of take him out of that? Um. That's, you know, I don't know. I think we kind of, with Search and, and me and, you know, obviously the people at the label who didn't know what was going on and, and, until they told me to drop him, which happened twice. What? Yeah. Within that two years? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What? what? Two years, no what? album? Yeah. yeah, that's what I was wondering, how she could hold on. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, well, one was because of a gun thing oh, that what? happened. <laughs> wah, 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 Little wah. did they know that that was just going to be... You know, <laughs> in, in terms of rappers and guns. Yeah, helping. Standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's standard, yeah. 
at the time it wasn't so standard and they wanted me to to draw they wanted to drop him and I had to make the case fight for him and Donnie wanted to drop or yeah yikes because him and Jungle are so opposite too so I always wonder like was he always on the edge of situation because of his brother Jungle was the one with the gun so there you go (laughs) 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 which is a funny story actually because um they had a show, his first show in New York was at a club called Muse. And we sent a car service to pick them up in Queensbridge, bring oh, them. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. This and doesn't go good. This doesn't end well. Um, and uh, Jungle had a gun on him. You know, this is after the thing with, the, with Will had happened. And, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I always thought up until Rock the Bells three years ago that the gun fell out of his pocket. But Jungle told me what had happened was he asked the driver to hold it for him while they were in the club. Oh, shit. Okay. So the driver took it to the police. Oh, man. Yeah. What? What? Snitching ass driver. (laughs) 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 You know what I mean? I just want you to hold this cocaine while I did my set. That's all I need. Wait a minute. So when the show's over. So the show's over, no car, no gun. Jungle starts calling the car company and threatening their lives and starts. Oh jungle. Oh Jabari. Oh. oh Wow man. Did you as a, as someone from North Carolina or you Bill as someone from Indiana did you have Nas expectations none whatsoever Cuz I'll be honest with you Nas yes I remember it I went to hell for at the age of 12 I went to hell for stuff in Jesus yeah for stuff in Jesus I remember the line but I never had a yo I right. cannot wait for that moon, like I, even after halftime came, nah, I, halftime I never liked that. I didn't like halftime. I, I like worked it. at Rough House. Oh, okay. Yes, I worked at Rough House, and I was just like, "It's cool." Yeah, I didn't really but, get Nas until it ain't hard to tell. When when I heard that, I was like, "Okay, this shit is dope." But even I mean, then, it was Michael was Jackson. Like, yeah, it was human nature. Even I was then, like, I was like, "Okay, this is clever." But then, but like, when I saw that, when I saw that Gangstar issue of the Source and saw that it got five mics. Then I was like, holy shit. And like, we're in the middle of making Do You Want More? And I'm reading this five mic review, man. And I'm just like, oh God. Like, there's, I don't know. I just, I read the review first, even before I heard the record. Yeah, same here, same here. And by that point, anything that the source could have told me would be incredible or not. No, that was Bible. That was, you held it as, and, you know, and I just felt like, the way they worded it was like, this is the new standard of the gold standard or whatever. And I just felt like, yo, I got to the train platform too late. And this is now, this is the new standard, whatever this, is what this is. album is. And so I think Tariq was like, yeah, I, you know, I got a copy of that tape. And then he went in his bag and had like, and, and played it. And I, I was just confused. Like, I was told Illmatic is classic. You never got to make it a classic on your own. Like it never you never got to do it on your on your own merits. 
it was just told to you like the chronic again i was told it was classic now see the chronic was different for me the chronic I hated the was chronic. different because i got in on the chronic early like i had saw the g thing video and was just like uh oh, whatever right, right. it's cool and but then i saw the covers like dr dre the chronic i was like oh, dre got an album all right i'll buy it and the chronic was a slow burn like it was I, I mean, hated it. When, when I bought it and I li- listened to it and I was like, all right, this is cool. And then I remember a couple months later, that shit was fucking everywhere. Ready to Die was like that for me too. Red- oh, hell yeah. Ready to Die we was like, I bought it, I it. loved it. I was like, all right, this is dope. And then it wasn't until the next time. <laughs> and summer. then they were told, you were told it, it was classic. <laughs> right. But it became, but I got a chance to view it for myself. I think, but Illmatic, I didn't really, because like you, like I remember this, when the review came out and like I said, I wasn't big on halftime. It ain't hard to tell I like. And then I saw the review and I was like, damn, like he got five mics. Like that was yeah. in the source and that time, like that was Bible. And I didn't that even think it. like, oh, that's political or you know, uh, right. like Not a favor. Yet. Yeah, I it didn't wasn't even that. think that. It wasn't I that. thought, man, they And so really... then the record came out and I remember getting it. And one of the things that really struck me about it was, you know, and maybe it was just, you know, Chance or Divine Dimension, whatever. It was only 10 songs, which was unheard of for a hip hop record. And so for me... I went to the mindset, I'm like, yo, if this motherfucker got balls enough to just do 10 songs, like, to me, that in itself was a statement. Mm-hmm. Like, for mm-hmm. you to just say, fuck all these skits and shout out to this dude, this, 10 songs, fuck it, this is what it is. Like, that to me was like, okay, he got some shit. And so then I listened to it, and yeah, I was like, all right. Yeah, yeah. I've never, and I want to go on the record, I've never, like, disputed if it was a classic or not, but it was just the way that it was... I wasn't expecting it. That and that was my whole point. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't have anticipation. There was no expectation. For not, Absolutely right. Not, I just woke up one day, saw the Gangstar issue, and thought, okay, let me see what they reviewed. And did the Columbia people? Did they know the like the <coughs> gravity of what five mics meant at the time? Did they get that? Yeah, they got that. Oh wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did that change anything in terms of how he was treated at the label, or like more marketing dollars to him, anything like yeah, that? Yeah, it did. It did. It's still only you know we. The album was so bootlegged. We we came out sold, what seventy thousand first week back then. That's no, yeah, first well, week. I had to, it was a slow do one eighty something. No, I mean we didn't sell shit, and we did like we. But we, you said you had already had the bootleg copy of the Nas record, and that was probably half the problem. Was everybody the had who had the bootleg. Yeah, but we brought it again. I mean. Okay, yeah. Well, you did. You. Yeah, <laughs> you. No, I'm saying me like money was falling from the sky. No, I'm just saying, no, okay, saying you like did, you did, but, but not, not a lot of other people else, didn't. Right. Like, I, I got I a box like, full of tapes I like, that I dubbed off of people that I still haven't bought the But I feel like 80,000 the first week is like 2016 numbers. You got to leave. That ain't even 2016 numbers. If Nas, if Nas did 80,000 his first week, he would instantly got dropped from Columbia. I felt like you at least had to do 100,000 something. No, you saying it's seventy five? Wow. What was it? Oh, uh it'll matter. At least April nineteenth, ninety four has seen an eight hundred and forty four percent increase in sales in nineteen ninety four. The album sold fourteen thousand nine hundred eighty seven copies during this first week. <laughs> oh, you all right. It's fake okay. Somebody I'm all right, I'm all right. Oh. As of today, Omatic has sold one point six million. Fourteen thousand? Thank you. Jesus Christ. Well, I thought, that was I thought under, it was more than that. That was under your projections. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> that was that was my that's me right there. 
Okay, so first week, uh, what are you saying? Let's put it in a 94 context, at least to my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Faith. First week numbers, was that really a thing like it was, like it became later on? Like it wasn't just like your first week. No, it was a thing. Wait, Those really, were the like, days when, you know, like Garth Brooks or whoever was right, doing right. like a million first week. You know? Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, post yeah. sound skin. Yeah. Post okay. 91. 91, yeah, after, after Niggas Wait, for Life. You read that 14,000? That's what it says. 14,987. According to the, the internet, week. it must be true. <laughs> that's, that's from the source. I remember. I, that's not what I remember, but. That's from the source. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, it could be wrong. I mean, it's the great Winston Churchill said, never believe everything you read on the internet. Here we go. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic. So slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. So were you at Hip Hop's funeral? Uh, June of 1995. Yes, I was there. What section were you sitting in? Were you on? I was right the on the middle. Oh, you were in the middle on the, on the West Coast side? No, the middle row was all West Coast well, and down then south. Then I wasn't in that. Then I was. If you're facing closer. the stage, the far left. If I'm was... facing the stage, then I'm on the left. All right. So the 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 halves, the uh, winning New York side. Mm-hmm. Nas is sitting three rows ahead of me on the far right side, mm. and I watched his whole. Body language that his like whole body language that night. The transition from Nasty Nas to, to Escobar. Escobar. Yeah. Wow. Dog, th- I watched, he came in, and it's weird because only maybe two years ago, 
either him or Stout told of the story of that Tommy Hilfiger shirt that Nas had on. That was the first oddest thing. First of all, it it was like, well, Tariq's like the fashionista of the roots. So he knew that was an out-of-season Hilfiger shirt Mm -hmm. for some reason, like, (laughs) <laughs> not like he said, like, oh, that that's uh, not off the rack, but uh, uh, when you go to outlet store, like, yeah, that's yeah, outlet yeah. last season. But the shirt was way too big for Nas. It was like he was wearing a, imagine like your son wearing. Yeah, wearing one of my. A double X. Hoodies or whatever, yeah. Right. It was just a very unusual looking Tommy Hilfiger shirt. And uh, he came in kind of real, you know, proud. Everything it was the top of the show and. You know, all the drama and the heat was on Diddy with with Suge Knight sure, and the yeah. whole, you know, come to death row and all in the video, all that stuff. And, you know, bit by bit, Big kept winning all of the awards. And, like, by the time the third, by the time the third uh, nomination was, which I guess was like Lyricist of the Year or whatever, um... Yo, his body language is like he curled up in the most depressed, sitting like Boss Bill right now. Yeah, <laughs> it was, I was a slouch. doing it on purpose. All right, it was a slouch. I'll never forget watching, and I looked, and me and Reed looked at each other like, "Yo, he's never gonna be the same again." Like, and he wasn't, and he admitted that that night affected. Him like did that affect you or did at that time did you just think yeah whatever it's the source? No, I thought everything changed for hip hop that night. Everything scared the shit out of me. Yeah, I I'd, like it felt it it got it took a turn like towards eat looked towards like, the dark yeah. yeah the dark side and it and you just knew it was going to end badly for a lot of people. I I felt that very much. So were you around for it was written or did you leave? I left um, for Jive. Um, I had disagreements with Nas and with Stout over the direction of the album. So were you there at least for the beginning of it mm-hmm. was written? So in your mind it was like, let's keep our eyes on the prize and this yeah. is the usual. I told, I told Nas, I remember saying this to him, you know, if you keep doing exactly what you're doing, 10 years you're going to be you know, legendary. I remember 10 years feeling like a lot of time back then. And, you know, just be true to yourself. Just be true to yourself. And, but he was... He's like, I want it now. He's gone. I want to win. Mm-hmm. What was your conversation with him after the Source Awards? Um, that conversation. <laughs> oh. So what was he feeling? That he had been cheated somehow. That he had been overlooked. Um. Mm that he made this incredible piece of art and people are giving him the credit that he deserved. Meanwhile, Biggie is... Biggie, he mentioned Biggie, 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 yeah. yeah. So it was... <laughs> right. Biggie, Biggie, Biggie. <laughs> <laughs> so how how early into the first or second quarter did you leave it was written? Very early. So I left... Columbia in, say, October of 96. Okay, what? Wait a minute, but it was out by then, correct? I know. So I, I had removed myself from the process. I was, you were I still was, at the label, but just not I was still at the project. label. It hurt my soul, yeah. 
So, but that's you, stout. Okay, again. But that's here's stout. An, here's another. Here's another. I need love situation. Mm-hmm. Now, whatever your feelings about, if, if I, I rule the, the world, world. I, Which I wrote the chorus for for fucking Lauren Hill. By the way. Wow. Or oh, rather, I so told you, her what to say. You approved of that at least. I was up to that point, yes. And then it became, again, an untenable situation because of Stout and myself. So, yeah. Mm, okay. I couldn't, you know, do so, what Stout did for Nas. That just wasn't, you know, it's not what I do. Stout, well, did he Stout do once Nas? trying to argue me, uh, Stout came to like uh, a, a voodoo session uh-huh. once. We were thinking of getting Nas on uh, Left and Right. No. Uh, Chicken grease. No. What were we calling it? Send it, it? on. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Send it on. <laughs> Yo. In my mind. In my mind. <laughs> Yo, son. Ill will. Yo. Uh, yeah. Nah, that makes no sense. Um, Queensbridge. Get her chill. QB. No, it wasn't ghetto children. It was. It was a fun guessing game. Yeah. Player, player. Everybody shout out. All right, I'm trying to think of anything. Devil's Pie. Wait, stop naming songs so I can figure out the name. <laughs> All right, so we did a join based on uh, Lots of Loving, the Ohio Players Westbound. Yeah. Like, it was something based off of that, and Stout came by, and we happened to be talking about it was written, and I guess he just automatically assumed that we were all aboard for it because it was winning and it was doing exactly what Nas hoped it would do as far as sales and winning. And um, me and D were kind of lukewarm to it. And Stout had mentioned that, yeah, man, remember we was trying to get you for Little Black Girl Lost. And uh, and I made the mistake of, ooh, I said, ooh, really? Like, it was kind of like, oh, you dodged a bullet on that one. Really <laughs> really not knowing who or what Steve Stout represented, I just thought he was just a guy that was opinionated about hip-hop and yeah. was just hanging around the studio. I didn't know that was, like, Nas's guy. And I was like, oh, that's a little black girl lost Whew, on that one. He said, what, you don't like that? I was like, oh, God, no. Like, I hated yeah. Little black girl lost. Yeah, on. Like, they all, it was, the narrative was cool, but it, again, it was just Stephanie like Stephanie Mills. It was, it was like, an old, yeah. The the Stephanie Mills loop was it was the Trackmasters formula that I didn't like at the time. And just for me, with the Nas uh, stuff, particularly with that album too, it was written dropping on the same day as Stakes Is High. Mm. It's just mm. like man, come like there was that was the first time you could really see like. Ooh, but an A and B kind of choice. You know what I mean? Mm. I see you making a jump ball, Boss Bill. What's your... It's just pitting it a... Daylight 96 versus Nas in 96. Well, I wasn't pitting them against each other. I was just saying, like, at that point, that was when there became a clear, like, a path in terms of sound. So it's like, okay. if you got into, if you were an It Was Written fan, then that was when you went more to, like, you know, Trackmasters and right. Biggie and the bad boy stuff. It was if apartheid were, going on. No, it's it was dead apartheid. Ass. It was straight up apartheid. If you went into Stakes is High, that was how you got into Dilla. And that mm-hmm. was how you got into like all the kind of left field, undergroundy kind of shit. You know what I'm saying? you The hip hop site era of, of right. music. You know what I mean? Sandbox Automatic. Yeah. This, <laughs> oh my God. Well, sandbox. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. 
I hate to say this, but I wouldn't wish Illmatic or Nas again if he were able to do a redo. Does that sound crazy to you? No, not entirely. I just feel like it's Illmatic a, was does, his, Is uh, it a burden? Like, do you know if it's a burden on him? I it is. I think it is. Does he realize the pressure? Like, well, I I wouldn't wish that on him because it's. I don't know. It's no, it was like I mean, I, to me, Illmatic as great as it was, like it yes, was. Yes, it is. By the way, it, oh, and smart enough, Nas is still a thing. <laughs> to me, I always looked at it as like, like Nas was like the M Night Shyamalan of hip hop. Like it was. I mean, listen, it's like no, seriously. I mean, like real rap. Right. And I'm a Nas yeah. fan. Like, not dude, Nas is is God literally. But it was like Illmatic was the sixth sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. written was unbreakable. Mm-hmm. It was like all right. Everything else was everything else. Warren, are you sick of hearing people debate about Illmatic? Like, you created this monster that... <laughs> I would never... No. Be, personally, I wouldn't be. <laughs> I'm I'm not. I mean, it's it's still relevant. That's the thing. It's, you know, here it is it's 22 years later, and we're still talking about it. I just think the idea of Illmatic is... Our idea and our... I think we're just crying for a period in hip-hop that... It's just it's gone. It's gone, gone, man. It's you're basically like I am with the childish Gambino record. I never heard of that. You basically say I'm I'm pining for something that doesn't exist anymore, and that's why I don't like it. Never heard Mm. it. (laughs) (laughs) If you're just tuning in, our guest is Faith Newman. Uh, She famously worked as an A and R rep at Columbia and Def Jam back in the early days of hip hop, and now works at Reservoir. Faith, where does your hip hop taste land these days? Well, shit. You signed uh, uh, Joey. Joey Badass. Joey Badass, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So, I mean, you still I try to have irons stay in the relevant. Fire. <laughs> <laughs> so, when you went to Jive, what, what period was this? Oh, this was the, the, the blingy era. This was um, 97 to 2000. UGK stories? UGK stories. I got them. Man. Wasting. You, yeah, we're listening. Okay. Well, they couldn't get them to turn into the album. So Barry Weiss says, you need to go to Houston and come back with the album. You have one mission, and that is to go to Houston, get the album, and come back. And what album was this? Was this 97? That was It wasn't Riding Dirty. It was... No, it was... Um, um, oh, God, what was it? Their third that? album. Well, I mean, I didn't come back with the the PS is that I didn't come back with the album, so that would maybe explain why yeah, the important part of the story. Yeah, and um, I'm sur- I'm shocked that Weiss would even care, not care, but I mean, they were signed to his label, weren't they? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. There was One no and the, and the the other reason he cared was that Jay Prince was trying to steal them away from Jive. <clears throat> oh, and, to rap a lot. Yeah, to rap a lot, and. In fact, I was the hotel that I was staying at, he sent somebody to sit in the parking lot of the hotel the entire time I was there. Jay Prince did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> why why? I some intimidation this thing. Is, yeah. I don't know. Just to let me know that they know that I'm Watch there. Me. So Chad Pimpsey. Pimpsey says he wants to take me to dinner with his mom, with Mama Wes. Mm-hmm. You know. Who she recently died, didn't she? Yeah. 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 To a very nice place, which was this kind of 
you know, basic steakhouse or whatever, and that was fun. And then they had a show to do that night. Um, I don't know if it was in the Fifth Ward, but it was somewhere not not good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's driving to the show, and I'm in the car with him, and he's he's smoking the entire time that he's driving. And I got this crazy contact high. And he says, hold on, I got to pull over to this place. And we pull over, and it's like one of those adult emporiums. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> I still, to this day, I have no idea what he went in there for. I just kind of went in and... <laughs> I'll be I back have, in 15 minutes. Ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to make a stop. And then, uh, and then we went to the show, and I got my own uh, bodyguard with a rifle. Oh, wow. And, um, and Jay Prince was in the audience surrounded by all these like his whole crew wow it's <laughs> just a little little adding little story but it didn't shake you no no nothing really ever hey. shook me so you thought you were going there to A&R uh, Beats Rhymes in Life and right <laughs> instead you got stuck with yeah <laughs> UGK trailing what was the yeah. uh, what was the um the two short like we had to bail two short out what uh, it was just a with? weed thing he was stopped in Times Square smoking weed in the truck, who hasn't been? Yeah. <laughs> what was your t- tenure? What what period were you there at Jive? Ninety seven yeah. to two thousand. Ah, hmm. yeah. So you were there for Beats Rounds of Life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry, not Beats Rounds of Life. Uh, love, uh, love movement. movement. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Love movement. Wow. Something real curious. Uh, I think, um, the uh, um, I think Bun B told a story about. Pimp C's uh, reluctance to Jay Z, big pimping, do pimp, big pimping, big pimping, mm-hmm. and I just remembered not liking the story because I felt like just the bottom line was clearly Pimp C was struggling or having conflict of success, mm-hmm. which most people have conflict of success because it's it's easy to obtain success it's harder to keep keep it going consistently mm-hmm. um and it's like clearly in the narrative of of bun b like pimp c was absolutely trying his hardest to sabotage this big pimping camp uh cameo mm-hmm. he's like well i'm only going to do eight bars eight bars yeah. and he didn't show up this time and didn't show up and he's not in the video and they had to sh- they had to fly crew down to shoot him in Houston. That was the only way he would do it, right? Do the video, and it's just like, why? Now I know he was like, you know, hanging on to the credibility and all that stuff, but it's like, like were, I mean, could could UGK's appeal have really gone to a a national level without the aid of Jay Z and Outkast had? I mean, I know in hindsight, it's like, okay, well, of course, that they put the work in and you know apply that. Nah, stuff, but, nah, you need that thing. I think. But I mean, did you well, feel? Yeah. But did you feel as though, even before Big Pimpin and before Outcast comes aboard, like that they could have been bigger and you know a household name? A household name? I don't think so. Really? Really? I can't see Pimp C yeah. being a household name. I, mean, yeah. I just came. <laughs> You know, like I think they might have found some level of of success after the success of like No Limit and Cash Money, 
making uh, Southern hip hop, you know, more of a less mm-hmm. of a regional thing. Mm-hmm. I think it, it, w- it would eventually gotten to UGK like it eventually did. Had they hung on and just. Right. I, I don't know if it would have gotten to the level that it got to. But. No, they needed. I think they needed like definitely big pimping that. Yeah. I mean, that open. No, they needed it. They but w- they would have had to have a couple more of those, I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I mean, it could have at least with the momentum that big pimping brought them like. Mm hmm. Could they have, you know, was Barry at least feeling like, okay, we're on a roll here. We can now cash in and... and if they could get them to turn in the record. I mean, that was, <laughs> you know. I she. Here she. What else did you work on it, Jeff? Um, I worked on um, the Tupac album. The, oh, Are You Still Down? Are You Still, still down? down? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a hundred songs on there. It's... <laughs> <laughs> When I get free, how did how did you guys album. get access to those songs? It was a it was a return Shook. it was a return favor for something that Interscope did with um, oh God, Interscope put out a jive release or, or a jive artist mm-hmm. that I for whatever reason I cannot remember right now. So in return, we we'll were, give you Tupac. We'll give you Tupac. We'll give you one album of oh. Tupac music. Wow, oh, it's like sports. Uh, straight trading, man. <laughs> oh, sh- that wasn't a bad album, though. I remember. I mean, because a lot of well, the cameo joint. Uh, um, dun, 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 dun. oh, when the seven got when the got ghetto, yeah, yeah the remix got ghetto. It was all Soul Shock and Carlin. There. Soul Shock and Carlin. I wasn't mad at that. One. Really? That was Soul Shock and Carlin. Didn't they do Tracy yep. Spencer? Tracy Spencer. Yeah. Where the hell is oh, Tracy Spencer? Didn't she marry a, one of them? She's a doctor or something. I thought. Tracy Spencer, right? Yo, if someone can, I, I'm she's just curious. Young and the Restless. Did you not get paid for the remix you did or something? <laughs> yeah, I got paid for it, but I never met Tracy Spencer. Oh, okay. She was my idol when I was a little girl. Hide and seek, a mad to John Lennon. I'm sorry, she did Imagine. She killed yeah. it, like she did. Yeah, we agree with you. Oh, good. Oh, okay. So, Faith, <laughs> I, I have a question that actually should have asked way, way, way a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, what exactly does an A and R person do? Oh, well, um, there's different things. I mean, the first thing the A&R person does is bring in the talent, is scout the talent and bring it into the label and then shepherd it through the recording process. Um, And it doesn't really end there. You know, you don't just kind of finish a record with somebody and you hand it over to marketing or you hand it over to promotion. You kind of, you see it through the whole way because you know the vision and you know the sound and you know you know um, where it should be going. So that used to be what A&R people did. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you how has it changed in the, from when you started doing it to now? Well, yeah, I, you know, I don't know what it's like because I've been in publishing for seven years now, um, doing A&R, which is kind of like the old school way of doing it, which is cool, you know. Um, I don't know how it goes on at the, what goes on at the labels right now. It doesn't seem like you have that much autonomy or mm-hmm. you know, I mean things are signed based on logistics and not so much, you know, just pure raw talent. Right. Yeah. Well, which ones have gotten away from you? I mean, if you're talking in terms of like just over being the course scout, of my career? Yes. Which Wu Tang Clan. Woo! Man. So what, you were trying to get them where? At Columbia. Oh, man. 
as a unit. Donnie Einer said, and I quote, they're shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. What? Yes. Yes. Have you had, like, uh, revenge talks? Like, have you called him, like, yeah, now what do you think? Yeah, like, right. We could have had that. Trust me, I felt like it a bunch of times. Wow. Mm-hmm. The entire unit. The entire unit. And All you at least them. had a conversation with Riza and considered it. I had a conversation, the whole thing. Damn. Did he ever come to you with uh, with any of the solo or the solo projects when he was no. shopping any of them? I was about to say no. Columbia was the only label that yeah. didn't, didn't get a have, taste. Remember the Wu Tang Clan? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. Not even Capadonna. They're nah. shit. Epic or Wu yeah, Army. Epic. Wu Army was Killer Army. They yeah. were on. They were like. They were indie, like, well, not indie, but priority or something like that. So during that whole period of 94 to 90, like, when they were red hot, mm-hmm. he just said, no, nothing? He just said nothing. Damn. This was, you know, protect your neck days. This was... Ironic uh, being as though one of Mariah's biggest singles was... <laughs> right. Were you a part of that brainchild that brought the fantasy remix with the ODB? No. At Columbia at the no. time? No. Oh. Well, Faith, in hindsight, mm-hmm. like, where are you with music today? Like, does, I mean, are you are you searching for blood in the stone right now, or is it, you know, do you still get this euphoric? I do. There's some there's some artists that two artists that I'm looking at right now that that move me. Does this include? Can you say them? Who you, you spoke what? of the singing? Include what? Well, one of the artists you raved about, uh, the singer from Down South. It, I don't know the name of the person, but... The singer from Down South? Yeah, someone... Uh, it was an act you told me about of... Oh, shit. Uh, not a Sam Cooke voice or whatever, but they were part of a group. Oh, Watch the Duck. Yes. Yes. Okay. Jesse. Right. Yeah. Are they closer to doing stuff? Yeah. Yes. They are. Okay. Are mm-hmm. you still involved in the project? Or? Mm-hmm. Okay. But they mm-hmm. weren't one of the two you were speaking of when you said. No, yeah. there's new ones that I'm looking at. Okay. You guys. Can you say them or are you? How, how do you. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't. Are you just on YouTube now looking for acts or is it. No, it comes through different places. I mean, I, I may find some something on SoundCloud, you know, occasionally. Um. But well, mostly it comes from p- just people I know, managers, you know, mostly managers. And when you say you're looking lawyers. at these cats, are you looking at them in terms of signing them, like publishing deals? Yeah, the publishing deals. Okay. Yeah, there's this kid named Joyner Lucas. Okay. You heard of him? No. Not over He's really. dope. He's on some, like, vivid Eminem-type storytelling, clever, you know, wordplay okay. kind of thing. He's dope. But for you, you never want to enter into the the sphere of traditional record label. No, I don't want to go back again. to that. Mm-mm. So I don't what, think is, what is the future? I don't for think you? if if you lived through it in the nineties like I did, <laughs> you 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 can't. I I couldn't I couldn't do it right now because I don't know, I don't know how they do what they do with the resources that they have. The small budgets. Yeah. yeah. The tiny budgets and. So what would satisfy you? Like what gives you, you know, what what the pat on the back that 
Honestly, pat you on the back in 2017, honestly, what would that be? You know, aside from the artist thing, a lot of what I do is catalog deals. And that's the thing, the old school stuff. It's like everything for me has come full circle. You know what I've, knowing who you are and yeah. what you love? Yeah. You know what I wish you'd do? What? Go to Minneapolis. <laughs> I wish I could too. I think you should I inquire think about that, you know? I think they're looking for an archiver. Or somebody to go through all yeah, this. Yeah, like, mm, yeah. Mm. I love doing stuff like that. Make it happen. Yeah, you know, I'm just you know, putting, about to get a new job. I'm going <laughs> to put it out there. I'm put it out it in the universe. I am. I'm putting it. No, I, I think you'd be perfect. I mean, you, I know that your your majestic passion for purple is runs deep. Yes, it does. And you have enough experience in the business to know how to minister and 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 organize these things and mm-hmm. i happen to know they need a lot of help make it i'm just saying that okay oh wait i'm supposed to make yeah you brought it it's your suggestion oh yeah. you know faith is magic too she is but a little extra magic she's, one of, my, extra she's magic. one of my favorite country singers <laughs> <laughs> no I she was your favorite r&b singer <laughs> right big one <laughs> Faith, uh, yeah, um, thank you. Thank you so and, uh, much, everybody. I appreciate everybody. your presence here. Thank you for not selling out. That's what you didn't do. You never cashed in. You never sold out. Course Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.